And well done, Joy. You stuck to the script I gave you without even looking at it. So that's superb. Well done. It really is good to be here. This is, a, this is either going to be great or a car wreck. Um, Judith and I have never spoken together before. Uh, and we haven't rehearsed it either. So uh, anyway, be praying for us. But we're excited. This is a great topic that we've got to speak on today. The power of the word. And I really want us to get excited about what it is that we have in our hands. You know, that book that you have has such power to speak and transform lives or on your phones, isn't it? Now, I read mine on my phone now because my eyesight uh, can't cope with the uh, small print. We're just going to uh, embed what we want to speak on today in a passage of scripture and you can follow it along if you want. Uh, we've not got it up on the screen for you and this is from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 to 12. And the context here is that God's people are about to move on, they're about to press on, they're about to take possession of a long promised land. And so this is the word of the Lord to them. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, for as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Being a bit of a geeky scientist in my past, I was drawn to Newton's first law of motion, which of course you can all tell me. <laughs> Except that you're all on summer holidays and so probably don't even want to think about it. Newton's first law of motion says that an object will remain still unless a force acts on it or it will keep going in motion unless a force causes it to slow down, change direction or stop. And as we were preparing for today, we kind of felt like the word of God is like Newton's first law of motion. It's interesting, isn't it, how our natural world mimics what's in God's heart. The word of God has the power to initiate motion in our lives, to cause us to change direction, 
slow down, or bring things to completion. We catch sight of that, this idea of God causing something to happen out of nothing right at the beginning of Scripture. If you read the creation account, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, some translations say, brooding over the waters. So you've got this vast expanse of nothingness, of emptiness, of pregnant potential. And into that space, God speaks. And God said, let there be light. And what comes next? And there was. And there was light. It's a repetitive um, uh, phrase throughout the creation account. And God said, and there was. And I want us to catch how hold of that this morning, that when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things don't remain the same. That which was stood still is set in motion. That which was empty is filled. That which was broken is restored. When God speaks, things happen. And there's a real inevitability about that. You can hang your hat on this statement that when God speaks, things happen. It's not a case of when God speaks, maybe stuff will happen. This is what we've been used to this week, isn't it? I don't know where you stand on our current prime minister, but I found an awful lot of people ready to listen to what he said and then go, well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Maybe what you say will come to pass. Maybe it'll be all right, but probably not. But when God speaks... Things happen. He is true to his word. He is not a man that he can lie. There's an inevitability about it. Isaiah 55 verses 10 to 11 says this, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud, bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, as sure as that is, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God's word is sure and it will achieve what he says it will achieve. What he speaks will happen. And I want you to notice this, that the word, not only was it a sure and certain word, but it was a spoken word. This is something that I just glossed over when I've read the creation story. It was Judith who just pointed it out. She said, I wonder if there's something in that, that God said. He didn't just think it. He didn't ponder it. He spoke it into that space. And as I considered that, I thought, actually, there's something for us, church, to grab hold of here when it comes to speaking the word of God. It's time for us to speak the word of God into the empty void that is the future that sometimes we're facing, into the questions and the, the dilemmas and the anxieties that we ourselves are facing. It's time to speak the seed of the word of God and begin to change the landscape of our lives, of our families, of our 
our communities, of our cities, of our nation, of our world. And so I want to encourage us this morning to be people who incline our ear and say, what is it, God, that you are saying? Catch hold of what God is saying. I thought Stuart was brilliant last week when he was talking about the prophet who inclined his ear to what God was saying and then spoke the prophetic word, it will not rain. And then he heard again the sound of rain and spoke the word, rain is coming, you better get ready. So let us be people who incline our ear. We ask, God, what is it that you are saying to me right now in this situation? What is it that you're saying to my friend who's going through real trial because there's sickness in their life or there's a lack of finance? What is it that you're saying to the church? And then speak that word out. I was inspired to have a look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel is someone who God uh, inspired to speak to his people. It's a time when Israel had lost hope and they were in desolation. And God speaks to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. And it says, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Are you facing something that you think, I just do not know what to say into this situation? I don't know what to pray. Well, I've got a new saying at the moment. It's if you don't know what to do, pray something. And if you don't know what to pray, pray the word. Pray the word of God, prophesy into those situations. Begin to see the landscape of your life and your families and your communities and our city and our nation. See the landscape change by the power of the word of God. Because there is seed contained in the word of God that cannot fail yes. but bring a future harvest. Come on. It cannot fail. But of course the thing you know about seeds is sometimes they lay hidden underground for an awfully long time before you begin to see any fruit. In Romans chapter four, the apostle Paul says this, God is he who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. There's an entire book dedicated to the life of this man, Abram. He and God started their journey way, way back when Abram's dad was still around. And they set off on this journey as a whole family. During their journey, God chooses to speak to Abram and he says quite a few things. He promises him quite a lot of great significance. He 
says, I'll make you a great nation. God says, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is one man in desert country thousands of years ago, and God has promised him celebrity without television or social media. Impressive. The point of the story, though, is that it was a journey. It started off with him going off to the Ur of the Chaldees, going to a place where God had said to him, go and I'll show you where I want you to go, which meant that Abram had to pack his tent down and kind of set off not knowing what the satnav was saying, um, and not any direction, clear direction of where he was going, only that God had said and that God was going to do this. And over time, God and Abraham have meetings and, and God reminds him of what he's going to do. He says to Abraham one day, he says, don't be afraid, I'm your shield and your very great reward. And Abraham challenges God and he says, how can I be the father of a great dynasty when I can't even be the father of a single son? You work that one out. And God shows him the sky and he points to the stars and he says, as many as the stars are in the sky, so shall your offspring be. But there's still no single son. His wife still isn't pregnant. His wife Sarai, being quite thoughtful, quite innovative, decides that the, the best way to make this happen is for Abram to sleep with their servant and that way he can have a son because obviously a younger woman will be able to produce the son. And so that's what happened. And Abram and the servant gave birth to a child called Ishmael. But that wasn't what God had intended. That wasn't his plan. And despite Sarai's meddling, 13 years later, the Lord appears to Abram again. And he reiterates the promise. I don't know about you, but if God has told me something, and I'm still waiting two years later, 10 years after that, 13 years after that, I'm beginning to say to God, really? Or I'm beginning to say to myself, has God said, really? I might have just been eating too much cheese that night. But God says, no, I'm going to give you a son and I'm also going to bless Sarai as well. He said to Abraham, I'm even going to change your name. Abram, which means exalted father, I'm going to call you Abraham, father of many nations. And Sarah, you're going to be my princess. Abraham's response to God's decree yet again was to laugh. Because he was 99 and Sarah was 90. This was physically going to be a bit of a challenge. A while later, God reminds them of his word again through some visitors. And this time it's Sarah that laughs. But one year later, along comes Isaac, whose name is Laughter. 
a sign of rejoicing, a sign of the fact that although we've had to wait all this time, God said, and it was so. A seemingly impossible story. How would God create a nation when there wasn't even a firstborn son? Because he said so. There are times when God speaks to us and he might even give us a time frame for something that he's talked to us about and yet the promise doesn't appear when we think it should. I was brought up in um, in Ghana to parents who were passionately in love with God and passionately in love with his word. They were both incredible Bible teachers. And as a child, I desperately wanted to be a little copy of them. I desperately wanted to teach the word of God. In fact, many times I was told that I was found outside under the tree or on a septic tank, um, teaching children, gathering children around me and teaching them what it was that I'd been taught the stories of the Bible, what God said about them, what God said about us, what God had done, what Jesus had done. I was really desperate and I really believed at that time that God spoke to me about being a teacher, a Bible teacher. I was about eight years old. I knew deep down that's what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that's what God had called me to do. But I left Ghana and I came to England. And you can't be a missionary in England. At 24, God stood me up and he spoke into my life and he said, you need to keep hiding the word in your heart because I'm gonna use what's in your heart to transform nations. And still nothing happened. And then I have to admit that I got increasingly um, more frustrated. I watched my sister and her husband, my rebellious sister, the one, she'll kill me for saying this, the one who turned her back on God, but then God turned her life around. I saw her set off to Zambia to become a missionary with her husband and her kids, living the life that I had always wanted. We got to pay her a few visits, but then I didn't get to speak on those visits. Oh no, my shy retiring husband, who wouldn't say boo to a goose, got the invites to speak, and I sat on the front bench. It was incredibly frustrating. I found myself sinning quite regularly with the sin of jealousy. Because it was still in my heart, that seed had still been planted, that seed was still there that said, this is what you're you're born to do, Judith. But I'm not seeing any of it. Opportunity after opportunity, he got, and I didn't. It's hard not to just go, well, I must have been dreaming, or actually, do you know what? Let God do it through Steve, that's fine, it's okay. 40 years 
later, I got the opportunity to speak at a women's conference. <laughs> I don't do women's conferences. <laughs> and I'd only just got my hair back, so I didn't look all that great. But 40 years, I was eight. 40 years later, I got to speak to a group of women and I got to see some people get saved as a result of what I'd said. 40 years of holding it in my heart. And then this Easter, I got to go to Zambia and I got to stand before a group of pastors and Sunday school teachers and I got to train them in the way that I knew deep down was the way that I would train them, my style. And I was able to impart to them that that God had planted in me. And I know that today they're planting into children that that God planted in me that I planted in them. And so I saw some of the fulfillment of what God was saying. We might have to wait for the fulfillment of his promise in our lives. And you might be sat here with dreams or desires or some seed that God has birthed in you and you're still waiting for the fulfillment. Hold on to it, water it, tend it. We might have to avoid creating Ishmael's in our lives and trying to solve it for ourselves and trying to, to fix it for God because obviously God's timing is a little bit out. But hang on to what God said because none of his words go out void of power. Let's be like Mary and say, let it be to me according to your word. Great. The great thing about doing this in tandem is you get time to stand at the side and cool down. Oh, Go and enjoy some water. That's great. So, Newton said that a stationary object will stay stationary unless a force acts upon it. It's the same with our lives and the situations we face. They do not change until the power of God's word is spoken and they set in motion. The law also goes on to say that an object in motion will stay on that trajectory until another force acts against it, diverting it or bringing it to a stop. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, which says, In the past, God spoke in a variety of ways, through our ancestors, through the prophets, and at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I wish we'd got time to unpack that today. Don't you love that idea that everything is held together and sustained by his powerful word? After he, that is Jesus, had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Used to listen to a song, uh, a Christian uh, songwriter called Michael Card. I don't know if any of you are familiar with him. And he wrote a song once called The Final Word. And he, he, he says, Jesus was the final word because God didn't need any other word after he spoke Jesus into this world. Because there's this great image, isn't there, of Jesus on the cross. And what are his words when he hangs on the cross before he breathes his last? He says, it 
is finished. And what I get out of that is that God is saying to us today that the trajectory that your life is on is not set in stone. There is a new power at work in your life that can make you deviate from that trajectory that's got you wrapped up in confusion and, and wrong living, that the way your life is set is not set in stone. Because Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. What is finished? The power of sin and death in your life is finished. It is over. The way your life is heading, how many of us, how many of us have said, it's just how I am. I can't help it. It's just the way that I'm wired. It's the way that I'm built. Things will never change. Things will never be different. Rubbish. Because Jesus spoke and said, it is finished. The power of sin and death is broken and there is now a new power at work in your life, setting you in a new direction. There is a greater inevitability at work in your life because God's word speaks to us. So incline your ear, hear his word. If you're in desperation today and you've been saying those words, this is the way it is, incline your ear, hear the word of God today. Hear him say over your life, no, the power is broken. It is finished. There's a new force at work in your life. So what has that word in Jesus, that finished work of Jesus accomplished for us? In this bit, I just want to speak the word of God over us to declare what it is that we have in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 5, Paul says that we are free sons. We are totally free, all chains broken. And for the ladies, I don't mind being called a son in this regard, because in the old text, a son was one who inherited. So I don't mind being a female son, because I really want to inherit all of that. Unfortunately, in those days, females were considered even less than the, the cattle in the hierarchy of priorities. So as a female son, we inherit our total freedom. The word of God, Jesus, has brought us our freedom and it's our right to live free of all that would seek to make us slaves, of all that would seek to ensnare us in chains, chains to our thoughts, our ways of life, our patterns, our attitudes, our mindset, the ties to the past that we once lived in. I'm going to be really brave right now and I'm going to tell you Because I know that this is for somebody here this morning. You can be free of the shame of what others did to you when you had no power. As a little girl, I was sexually abused by a friend of my parents and it was repeated because my parents didn't know. But do you know the amazing power of God? I was in a meeting and a wonderful guy called Charles Slagle who allowed God to speak through him just spoke and he stood me up and he just said, you are as bright and as shiny as any angel 
that stands before our Father's throne. I was 16, and I told nobody. Nobody knew, but God did. And you know, from that moment on, I was totally free of what that man did to me. I don't live in the shame of it. don't live with it clouding my life because God set me free and somebody in here needs to know that the hurt that you've experienced at the hands of somebody else you don't have to live with because your father has set you free Paul tells us that when we've been set free We have to do that thing called standing. We're not allowed to go, okay, I'm free, and I'm going to go and sit back in all of that. God gives us the power to stand and remain standing when all else batters us. I'm not telling you that when I got married, it wasn't something that was at the back of my mind, but you know what God said, stand. So you remain standing. You stand in the truth that God has given to you. We have a tendency when God loses us from something to go back and pick that up because we're comfortable with that. We don't know who we are without that baggage because that baggage has defined us. We feel the same old feelings, a bit like when you feel the chafing after chains have been removed. It feels as if the chains are still on, but they are not. We have been totally and completely and utterly freed from our past. And we have the strength to walk away. In 2 Corinthians, the word of God says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with against our past are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And so this morning, strongholds are demolished. They can't be fitted back together again. You can't go and pick up the pieces of rubble and stick them back together again. They are totally and utterly wasted. So we demolish arguments and we demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. I have this silly image in my head of a little thought bubble with legs. And my thoughts do that and they run off and they start gathering all sorts of business and they start building their story. And then I see this great big butterfly net come out, grab hold of it and pull it back. And you know, as our thoughts begin to gather momentum, we have the power to take them captive and to say, no, that is not who we are. That is not how God has defined us. That is not how God has created us. We are free. If you look at the verse in Corinthians, it's all active verbs. It's about waging war, it's about fighting, it's about demolishing, it's about taking and making and standing and not picking up yokes of slavery. And even when preparing to battle over our lives, thoughts, actions, behaviors, we're not left unequipped. We're suited in the armor of God. 
We are in Ephesians 6, told to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The strength is not our own, it's his. We're told that we can resist the enemy's schemes against us by standing in the full armor of God. We know we're not fighting flesh and blood, we're fighting against rulers, principalities, and powers, but we stand with the belt of truth firmly around our waist. The seat of our emotions are covered to be in the truth of what God says rather than in the grip of our fleeting and ever-changing feelings. We wear the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus paid for over our human, fallible, fickle hearts. We walk in peace, placing our feet where he has gone before. We stand behind a shield a shield that will never become unreliable. A shield that defends us when the lies, the temptations, the accusations of shame and guilt are fired at us. We wear the helmet over our heads that assures our overthinking, complex, overcritical brain that we're his, that his salvation is now ours. And then we stand with the offensive weapon the one offensive weapon in our toolkit, which is? The word of God. And it's a sword, it's not a butter knife. <laughs> That's right. It's double-edged. Right. That means it assaults Good. when it goes in and when it comes out. It has the ability to slice right through to the heart of the matter. Time's going on this morning and I just want us just if we could just bow our heads right now because I think what Judith has just been saying there uh, really strikes a chord and I just want us to just reflect for a moment just before we conclude and I want you to do in your mind that little image that um, Judith painted catch hold of those thoughts Take them captive and speak over them the word of God. Just remind yourself again of the word of God spoken over you. Chosen, not forsaken. Hope and a future, not despair. We're told that we need to hide our wor God's word in our hearts, to store it away so that when we're challenged, not if, but when we're challenged, when we're under pressure, what is in us comes out. It's a bit like a sponge. If you put a sponge in water, then when you squeeze it, the water comes out. As a child, I was surrounded by the word of God. In fact, many times, songwriters just wrote scripture to music and just lived in the word of God. Didn't know that sometimes when I was singing, I was singing the direct word of God. But it made it memorable and it made it stick in my head. Many years later, so a couple of years ago, 
I was having treatment for breast cancer and um, I'd been told that the chemo would affect my hair and so I cut it short, really short, shorter than this in preparation for it. And you know it's going to happen, but you can't kind of gear yourself up for it. And I thought, I'm going to be okay, because I'm a bit bolshy. I can, I can cope with things like that. It's only hair. But I got in the shower one day and was washing my hair, and it all came out in my hands. And it literally covered my palms and then was all down my back. And, and it, was, it, it felt awful. And I began to panic and, and get into real distress. I began to sense fear in the room with me. And in the middle of all of that, God just reminded me of a song. A just song dropped into my head. He gave me beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's really old. <laughs> but I saw some of you singing. <laughs> and immediately the word of God that was on the inside, that I'd sung as a young child that I didn't understand, suddenly made sense. In times of pressure, what was inside came out. And I understood that my being, my self-worth, my emotional state was not what it looked like. It was joy. It was a garment of praise. And it was an oil of, and, a, and a beauty. When squeezed, what was in came out. And I've been reading uh, lately about seeds and seed dispersal. If we think about the seed, the word of God being a seed in our lives, there are all sorts of ways that those seeds are scattered and come to fruition. But I was reading this, that perhaps the most amazing fire adaptation, this is looking at where forests are destroyed by fire, is that some species actually require fire for their seeds to sprout. Some plants, such as the lodgepole pine, eucalyptus, and banksia, have serotinus, which may or may not be the correct, correct pronunciation, but I'm gonna say it again, say it with confidence, Steve. Serotinus cones or fruits that are completely sealed with resin. These cones and fruits can only open to release their seeds after the heat of a fire has physically melted the resin. The only way those seeds are dispersed is in the heat of a fire. And I get a sense, because we've been through it a little bit ourselves, but I get a sense that God is speaking over some of us here and maybe even us as a church, a live church, that there is seed in us that will only be released through fire. That time of real testing and heartache and anguish, when you are tempted to despair, there is a seed on the inside, God's word, that will be released in that time. 
have a look, Google it. Google serotinous cones in a microwave. It's amazing to see how the seeds, they can't get out, bound by resin. And yet, when the fire comes, it begins to open and the seeds are released. Well, we need to finish because that clock has been on red for seven minutes, which means we have gone seven minutes and 22 seconds over our allotted time. But we do want us just to declare a few things together. Let's declare the word of God together. The first thing we're going to declare is something that we declare every single week here. Never, ever get tired of praying this prayer. We're going to have to move our notes so we can see it, Judith. And it's a prayer that I'm going to invite us all to say together. It's taking the truth of God's word and unlocking it for ourselves and saying, I believe this stuff is true. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he was truly changing the trajectory of my life. I struggle to say that word. I should stop saying trajectory. That I really believe this is true for me. I'm taking hold of the key. And some of you may pray this for the first time today, and if that is the case, then I am so delighted for you because you are committing your life to a new, higher power yes. as you pray this prayer. So let's pray this prayer together. It should come up on the screen. Thank you, Thank God, you God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's just bow our heads, shall we? Is it really that simple? Is it really as simple as I ask you to fill me and then I receive you into my life? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. As simple as that. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I just want to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody about what it is that you've done. They'll pray with you, give you a book that's going to help you as you continue this new journey that you're on. If that is you and you would appreciate somebody coming to pray with you and just talk things through with you, could you just pop your hand up in the air for me so that I know that you have prayed that prayer. And you're taking that step also and saying, this is for me, this is for me. If that's you, just wave your hand in the air. I've got some friends out there who are just looking and they'll come and see you. Thank you. Can we just stand together? We've got one last thing that we want to say together. This is Psalm 29 and we just want to declare it together. Just this power in this spoken word. Let's release the word of God as we read this together. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty one. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience uh, and allowing us to overrun a little bit. God bless you.